to junior church. By the way, we added that song which Jenny sang beautifully, and um, we added that on Wednesday. And what a meaningful message in that song. And, you know, as we head to Christmas, as we head through the Christmas season, remember, you know, the purpose is about Jesus. It's not about all this other stuff. And what a beautiful song to remind us of that. So stay there in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Please stay there. You know, we are getting closer to Christmas, and I wonder, does that excite you? Are you excited about Christmas? Are you ready for Christmas? Are you looking forward to Christmas? What do you most like and dislike about Christmas. A 2013 Pew Research poll asked people what they like or dislike the most about the Christmas holiday season. Here is a list of what most people look, look forward to at Christmas. This is what people look forward to at Christmas. 68% said spending time with family and friends. 11% mentioned religious services. Or religious reflections, that's 11%. 11% look forward to the Christmas spirit of joy and goodwill. Spirit, little s, of joy and goodwill. 5% said music, decorations, and shopping. I have to laugh a little bit when I read spirit of joy because yesterday I was reading something and I read about a, a woman who was wanting to get caught up in the Christmas spirit and she was at a gas station called, I think it's called Wawa. We went, it's in the south, Wawa. And she goes in and she thought, I want to buy somebody's stuff. And so she bought somebody's ginger ale for them and thought, I want to be in the Christmas spirit. And then as she walks out, she sees somebody cleaning her windshield for her. And she thought, that is so nice. I love this Christmas spirit. So she ran and gave the person a big hug and said, Thank you for cleaning my windshield for me. And then she realized it wasn't her car. <laughs> it, was, it was somebody else's car that looked like hers. And since I almost laughed, I thought I'd share that with you. So 11% look forward to the Christmas spirit of joy, little s. 5% look forward to music, decorations, and shopping. 4% look forward to the end of the Christmas season. 4% look forward to the end. Now, here is what... The poll said we most dislike about the Christmas season. Here's what people most dislike about the Christmas season. 33% said the commercialism and materialism. 33% the commercialism and materialism. And if I recall correctly, I think that's what Charlie Brown didn't like in that classic special. 22% said they do not like the money and expense. 10% said they do not like the shopping and the crowds. I, I, I agree with them on that. 5% said the hectic, the hectic pace and bad moods of people. And 2% do not like the pressure to go to church. The pressure to go to church. You know, I hope and pray that you really look forward to worshiping our Savior and making this holiday season, this Christmas season about Jesus. You know, sometimes we say holidays and not Christmas, but you know the word holiday comes from the word holy. Holy day. It's a holy day, Christmas season. So let me ask you, this is a time for interaction. What are some of your favorite Christmas hymns or carols? Shout them out. Oh, holy night. Beautiful hymn. Oh, holy night. What else did I hear? Joy to the world. Wonderful. Others. 
Silent Night, Mary Did You Know, all beautiful songs. Amazing the guy who wrote Mary Did You Know is a great comedian too, but he can really sing Mary Did You Know so well. Other Christmas songs are carols. I heard two at a time. A Little Town of Bethlehem and Craig? Santa, bring my baby back. You're making my case. <laughs> oh, Little Town of Bethlehem. Thank you, Laura. You know, a Little Town of Bethlehem is one we're going to close the service with today. And I'm going to talk about Bethlehem today. We are, we're going to talk about this city and this city of Bethlehem and its importance in our Savior's birth. And to start with, I'm going to let Ken play this video, just a short video about Bethlehem. So Bethlehem, it was prophesied 700 years, around 700 years before Jesus' birth, it was prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. And I find that amazing. I find it amazing at how all the scriptures connect. All the scriptures connect like a cobweb woven together. We've been talking about prophecies about Jesus fulfilled in him in the Messiah. You know, we've been talking about how in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we find the first prophecy about Jesus. As soon as man sinned, as soon as humanity sinned, it was prophesied that Jesus was, would, that, that God would provide a savior. As soon as sin entered the world. And there's over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. I don't know about you, I could not control the place I was born. I had no say in the matter. <laughs> None whatsoever at all. And Jesus, as a human, being fully human, as a baby, could not control the place he was born. But Jesus, being fully God, you know, God controlled that that prophecy would be fulfilled. That Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. You know, they were waiting on a Savior because in the Old Testament they knew that they sinned. 
And that sin separated them from God. They needed a redeemer. They needed somebody who would fix the relationship between God and man. And they were waiting for this Savior. They were waiting on the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. They were waiting on an anointed, a God-anointed one uh, to redeem them. Today my theme is that the place of Jesus' human birth was prophesied some 700 years before he was born. Yet, Jesus' existence is outside of time. The place of Jesus' human birth was prophesied some 700 years before he was born. Yet, get this, Jesus' existence is outside of time. Jesus literally really was not born in Bethlehem. His, he, he became a man. He took on flesh. But we see right here in this passage in Micah, in Micah 5.2, that his existence is outside of time. There's a strong theological truth in Micah 5.2. Now, Morgan read it fabulously, but I'm going to reread it so it's fresh in our mind. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one, capital O, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago. His goings forth are from long ago. That means Jesus has an ancient history. Jesus is outside of time. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Jesus has eternal existence. Jesus' birth is clearly prophesied in this passage. Let me get to this. Allow me to give the context. The context of Micah 5 too, because we have to, we don't want to talk about the passage apart from its context. The NIV Study Bible has a note saying that the author is Micah. The audience is the people of Israel and Judah. Remember, at this point, Israel and Judah are both a divided kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And by this time, the northern kingdom of Israel has been conquered by Assyria. The prophet Micah is addressing especially the oppressive land grabbers who supported Israel's corrupt political and religious leaders. The date of this writing is between 650 and 700 B.C., 650 to 700 years before Christ. But we're going to show you how even by Jesus' day, they knew that this was prophesying where the Messiah, where the Savior was to be born. There's a section in Micah, from Micah chapter 3, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 15, which includes judgment and then prophecy of restoration. The prophet is prophesying judgment and restoration. In Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, the prophet is denouncing the present leaders. And starting in chapter 4, he begins a prophecy about their restoration. Remember, the northern kingdom has been conquered. And so he's prophesying their restoration, that God is going to restore the people of Israel. And then we get to Micah chapter 5. And in Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, it's about the shepherd king arriving, the shepherd king arriving. As we look at chapter 5, we see more prophecies than just about Jesus' birth. There are a lot of prophecies in this passage, but we are just going to focus on Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a small city. Maybe some of you know of small cities. I know of a small town that was so small, actually an island nation, so small that even Google Street View could not take care of it. Google Street View, the virtual tool that allows users to view eye-level images of a location defined on Google Maps, extends to cover many parts of the world that are accessible by car. However, the Faroe Islands were not included. 
Now, I don't know if you know where the Faroe Islands are. I didn't until I read this. But the Faroe Islands are an autonomous island country within the kingdom of Denmark. And they noted a number of years ago that their beloved island had not yet been indexed by Google's tracking. And they submitted a unique request. Here, here is their request. Led by resident Dorita Dahl Andreasen, they proposed a Google sheep view. Sheep view. In which 360 degree, let me back up, 360 degree cameras would be strapped to the backs of roaming sheep who would then provide the world with images spanning the remote beauty of the island nation. Upon receiving the proposal, Google reportedly responded that the idea was sheer brilliance, and they supplied the island with the necessary equipment. The project was recently completed, and Google Maps program manager reflected on its success. He said this, It's our mission to make the farthest corners of the world accessible through street view in the palm of your hand. But there's a lot of the world out there, so sometimes we need a little bit of help to hoof the distance. Now, thanks to Dorita and her trusty sheep, you can explore the Faroe Islands in Google Maps. It goes to show if there's a wool, there's a way. <laughs> so it was a small little island, and they decided to include it in Google Street View. Bethlehem was an extremely small city back then, and I believe even today it is. Bethlehem was small, but Bethlehem was the area that King David was from. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 12, we see that King David came from Bethlehem. Bethlehem was just five miles outside of Jerusalem. How many of you traveled more than five miles to get here this morning? Anybody? Anybody even know? Okay. Five miles. I'm just a mile and a half down the road, so I do not share your pain. But five miles is nothing today. But Bethlehem was five miles outside of Jerusalem. If you traveled more than five miles to get here, you traveled the distance between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. If you traveled more than five miles, you've exceeded that distance. Bethlehem had a prominent history in Israel's history. Though at this point, it's just a village. It's just a village. And if you look at this passage, Micah is now prophesying about hope for Israel's future. He writes, But you, but as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now, how many of you know what he means by Bethlehem Ephrathah? That's the second part of its name. People look at it and say, what is Ephrathah? Bethlehem Ephrathah. What is Ephrathah? Well, it seems like Ephrathah is likely the larger area around Bethlehem. It'd be like saying, but as for you, Poland, Poland Township. But as for you, Poland, Mahoning County. It was the larger area around Bethlehem. And by the way, there were two Bethlehem cities in Israel. So he might have, Micah might have prophesied, of course he's following the Lord's instruction here, but he might have specified Bethlehem Ephrathah to differentiate it from the other Bethlehem in Israel. Micah says that Bethlehem is too little to be among the clans of Judah, too small. This simply talks of how small this village is. The ESV study Bible shares the following. It says, the unlikely choice of David as king foreshadows the unlikely choice of Bethlehem as the hometown of the greater David. Jesus is the greater David, the unlikely choice of David as king. David was an unlikely choice of king of Israel back in the Old Testament times. And the unlikely choice of David as king and David coming from Bethlehem foreshadows the unlikely choice of Jesus, the greater David, being born in Bethlehem. Still, the passage shares that from Bethlehem, one will go forth. 
One will go forth. That's Jesus. One will go forth for God to be ruler in Israel. Now, this is a Messiah. King David came from Bethlehem. And now the greater David will come forth from Bethlehem. The passage says, his, and now this is referring to Jesus, his going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This is showing that Jesus exists outside of time. Some people could look at Micah 5.2 and think when it's talking about his goings forth from long ago, that's just talking about uh, David. But if you look at the language, it seems to be declaring that the Messiah, he's outside of time. His goings forth are outside of time. He comes from, he, his existence is from long ago. The NIV uh, study Bible has a note that says, whose origins are from old, from ancient time. And then, well, that's the NIV text. And then the note says, his origins were long before his human birth. Jesus' his origins were long before his human birth. Jesus is outside of time. In Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus exists eternally with God outside of time. He has no beginning. This is talking about Jesus. This passage is not talking about a mere human king. This is talking about God becoming a man. And we see the fulfillment in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And Morgan read that, and I appreciate it. Let's read it one more time so it's fresh. So if you're in your Bibles, make sure you're there in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. We're going to read this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. By the way, it says Bethlehem of Judea. Judea will be the larger area around Bethlehem. And Jesus is born in Bethlehem. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And he's born in the days of Herod the king. So these magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. And these magi said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Isn't that amazing? You would think Herod would be excited, but he's not. Herod is not the rightful king of Israel. He is a local king, and he's not even Jewish. He's an Edomite, so he is not excited. He is not eager to go worship this Messiah. He's troubled. But get this. It says all Jerusalem is troubled with Herod. All Jerusalem wanted to hang on to their own local power. They were content with the way things were. They didn't want this Messiah, Jesus, the Savior, to mess with their life. They're all troubled. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 4, look at verse 4. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, oh, we don't know? They didn't say we don't know, did they? The people, the chief priests and the scribes. The scribes would be the copyists who copied the word of God. Sometimes the scribes were like religious lawyers as well. Guess what? They knew where the Messiah was to be born. They knew this prophecy in Micah 5.2. They knew this prophecy that was 700 years before that time period. They knew it was about the Savior. They said this in verse 5. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew, in the first century, they knew, the Jewish people knew, this passage was prophetic about the Messiah. 
But they didn't go to worship, did they? None of them went. Herod didn't go. Herod tried to kill them all. The chief priests, the scribes, they were religious scholars. They were religious leaders. They, were, they should have definitely gone. No excuse. They didn't go. In these verses, we see that the religious leaders of the first century clearly knew this verse was talking about the future Messiah. I hope that encourages your faith. It's another prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. Another one that he couldn't even control, but he fulfilled it. Herod asked the scribes and chief priests where the Messiah was to be born, and they said, in Bethlehem. They knew this was about the Messiah. And now look at Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Luke 2, 4 through 7. I'm going to read it. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Luke's gospel, as well as Matthew's gospel, both of them record, both in both two places, record the fulfillment of this prophecy of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. Jesus, as a mere human, could not control his birthplace. But Jesus is not a mere human. He came fully God and fully man to save us from our sins and to live within us. Jesus' human birth was prophesied 650 to 700 years before his birth. But Jesus exists outside of time, as this passage says. Let's make some applications. As I look at this passage, my faith is strengthened knowing that God had a plan long ago. You and I, we always face things, and there's surprises to us. But remember that God is in control, and God has a plan. When they were stuck in their sins, God had a plan for redemption. God had a plan. God still has a plan. God is in control. God is sovereign. Our ruler, the Messiah, comes out of eternity, as it says in this verse. This is an awesome encouragement as well. Jesus truly is the highest and greatest being. In John chapter 8, verse 58, John 8, 58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is eternally existent. This passage is about Bethlehem's ruler. Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your ruler? I'm going to pause right there so you can think it through. Do we bow our knee to Jesus? Jesus must be our king. Is he your king this holiday season, this Christmas season? Is he your king going into 2020? You know, we must surrender to Jesus for our future. We must surrender to Jesus each day. We must bow to Jesus. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can bow now or you can bow later. I hope we bow both. We must submit to Jesus and his word. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 2 and verse 9 and 6, 9, it says that they are persecuted for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Are you ready to serve the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even being persecuted for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's a strong application because most of us can't put Jesus first throughout the week or even on Sunday mornings. So what makes us think we're going to be able to serve Jesus and make him Lord 
when we have a gun to our head, or we could lose our jobs, or we could lose our careers, or many other things, or lose our homes. And that's going on all over the world right now. Are we willing to bow the knee to King Jesus and make him Lord no matter what the cost? The church is being persecuted all over the world. And there's an app you can get for your smartphone, Androids and iPhones. It's a, a Voice of the Martyrs app. And every day it gives you a prayer request for the persecuted church. For example, today it says pray for Jordan. Pray that Muslims who have dreams and visions of Christ will come to know him. I've shared that with a number of Christians, and I'm amazed that we don't take up the opportunity to be led in prayer for the persecuted church every day. Now, you can also get a Voice of the Martyrs calendar that does the same thing. You don't even have to mess with technology. It's amazing. Our brothers and sisters are being persecuted every day. Do we care? Are we ready to make Jesus Lord? If Jesus isn't your Lord now, I pray... But I'm weary that we'll be able to make him our Lord later when there's truly more pressure. We must submit to Jesus. Since God can, since God can connect these prophecies with Jesus' birth and life, this is another connection to his sovereignty. Another proof of the truth of the gospel. All these prophecies fulfilled in King Jesus are proofs of the gospel. Now, you still have to have faith, but Jesus doesn't make us have blind faith. He gives us all these different proofs of the truth of the gospel. God is sovereign. God is in control. And I hope that encourages your faith. I hope it encourages mine to know that he's in control. You know, I referenced the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Actually, Laura referenced the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It was written by Philip Brooks. Philip Brooks lived between 1835 and 1893. He died pretty young, actually, as I look at this. And in the same way, I, I read something about that hymn. Let, let me read it to you. It says, In the same way that God's wondrous gift came to Bethlehem silently, so Christ comes into our lives today and cast out our sins and fears if we are willing to have him abide in our lives. Then the dear Christ enters in. How beautifully the glorious message of Christmas is told in this well-phrased hymn by Philip Brooks one of America's most outstanding ministers of the past century. During a trip to the Holy Land in 1865, Brooks went to the church in the Nativity in Bethlehem on Christmas Eve, and he worshipped there. He was deeply moved by this experience, so three years later, while pastoring the Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia, Brooks desired to have a special carol for the children to sing in their Sunday school Christmas program. Recalling the peaceful scene in the little town of Bethlehem, Brooks completed the writing of the text in just one evening. He gave a copy of the words to his organist, Louis R. Redner, and requested him to compose a melody that would be easy for the children to sing. On the evening just before the program was to be given, Redner awakened suddenly from his sleep with the present melody in his mind, and he quickly wrote it out. Oh, little town of Bethlehem has been a favorite with children and adults around the world, since that time. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. 
O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth. In praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, their great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us. Abide with us. Our Lord, Emmanuel. Oh, come to us. Abide with us. Our Lord, Emmanuel. That is amazing truth. That Jesus came to live amongst us, Emmanuel, God with us, came to die for us on the cross and rise again, came to give us everlasting life, came to give us complete life, a full life, abundant life, came to make us new. He came to rewire us spiritually. You know that we have a short circuit in our spiritual wiring. When we sin, we are separated from God. We die spiritually. But by Jesus' blood on the cross, we are rewired spiritually. Born again. Yeah. In the midst of all the rush and activity of the Christmas season, take time to rejoice in the joy of Christ's birth. And ask him to abide with you in a special way. As I did last week, I encourage you again to reflect. Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Is he your Lord? Do you have anything to repent of? Is Jesus abiding with you? If you're living in unrepentant sin, he is not abiding with you. That sin is a disconnect between you and Jesus. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I withhold sin in my heart, the Lord would not hear my prayer. Reflect. Repent, confess that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe in Jesus as the only Savior. Trust in him and commit to him. Firmly make the decision to be with Jesus in order to become like him, to learn and do all that he says and arrange your affairs around him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. You came and you came Emmanuel, God with us. You died on the cross for our sins and rose again. You lived for us. You came for us. Lord God, I just ask that you would help us living for you. I ask that you would help us every single day, every day, whether we committed to you as Lord and Savior 50 years ago or yesterday, may every day, may we get up and say, Jesus, I'm going to serve you today. Every day, Lord, may we firmly make the decision that we want to be with you. Every day that we want to be with you, to become like you. Every day, Lord, may we make the decision that we want to be like you, Jesus. Who else would we want to be like but you? Every day, Lord, may we make the decision to learn and do all that you say through your word, the Bible, through the Holy Spirit's empowerment in our life, in prayer and spiritual disciplines, through your church family. Every day, may we live for you. And every day, may we arrange our affairs around you, make you Lord of our life. Lord, you are Lord. May we submit and bow to you as Lord and Savior. And may we not be like others who miss Christmas. Herod in Matthew 2 the chief priests and scribes and the people. May we focus on you. May we go to the line to see you, Jesus. May we bow our knee 
every day and just say, Jesus, you're my Lord. We serve you. We follow you. Abide with us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If something has stirred you, the altars are always open, and you're welcome to come forward uh, to the altars for the closing hymn. Uh, after the closing hymn, I'll ask Steve to just do a brief prayer, and then you'll, if you want to take a five-minute break, but please come back in here or just stay in your seats for the business meeting if you're able to.